Namaste, Namaste. My humble pranam to all the wonderful children of Mother and Shurbindu. I've been asked to speak on guidance from Mother and Shurbindu in everyday life. Life runs on many layers, and this is the first thing that yoga teaches us. And what we call as life is normally just changing scenes, circumstances, events. Uh, often discordant, often disconnected. If you ask what happened in life today, this from uh, during a particular day, we see that people recount all the incidents that happened from morning till night. But there is another life which runs behind this outer life, which is at least as important, in fact, more important because the value of the outer event derives from this, and it is our inner life. and this inner life is composed of thoughts feelings attitudes intentions will passions hopes desires or the absence of it fears faith all this constitute a very large inner psychological apparatus which flows into our outer life <clears throat> not always because outer life may continue by a chain of past uh, uh, habits while the inner is changing but generally in most people as is their intent outer life begins to reflect it one way or the other and behind this inner life there is a still deeper life which shurbindo reminds us reveals to us it is the inmost life and the inmost life is the life of the soul it continues life after life so outer life event circumstances the outer personality with which normally we connect the way we introduce each other that is something which is a temporary formation of time a kind of illusion when we identify with it and think i am that and it is something which is um, an ego personality which is dissolved when we leave this body behind this there is a very important aspect which is constantly in a flux it is the one over which a lot of work goes on when we take to the yogic life and it is understanding our thoughts feelings hopes aspirations our will desires and it is this life which becomes the focus of the yogin first so when we start looking at this life first thing we observe is that it is in a state of disorderly order what we call as order and that that's what reflects in our outer life also it's in a state of disorderly order much like the assembly where everybody is speaking except the speaker the speaker is supposed to remain quiet time to time he will put up a show and say stop stop you are being too unruly go out so similarly within us the speaker or the true person the soul within hardly speaks because there is a chaos often a ruckus and this internal noise is so we don't realize its impact it is so much um, uh you know it camouflages the voice of the speaker within us it keeps constantly confusing the direction we should take what we should do how we should live our life so the first thing in yoga first basic practice is to ask them all these different elements to be quiet so how do they become quiet yoga has to be built on a foundation of peace and quietude so how they become quiet they will not become quiet unless there is either an impetus or a tremendous power which makes them quiet take an example a 
Asura or Rakshasa becomes quiet when he is face to face with Shiva. Shiva has tremendous power. So he becomes quiet. Or take another example in a marriage when people go and they are in a party. Then suddenly when the bride and the bridegroom come out, then whatever be the talks, they all become quiet and they start looking up. Or in another situation where when the head comes, suddenly before the meeting, everybody is talking, chit-chatting. When the head comes, everybody becomes quiet. So we become quiet either when we pick up one part within us, which is like a central part around which the rest of our nature can start weaving its life. So this central part has to fix a name. There is a life without a name. Often we meet people who are, you know, miserable life and unhappy life, depressed life. It's simply because there is no aim. There is nothing to look forward to. I have often seen people who in their, uh, you know, 60s, 70s, um, or sometimes even earlier, 50s, when their children have grown up, flown away, they have a house, and they suddenly start feeling miserable. They're very unhappy. And when they're unhappy, this unhappiness starts, uh, you know, reflecting on everybody around them. So what is the reason? The reason is that when we are youngsters, there is a virus called the social virus. It comes through parents. It comes through the school in which we are studying. Very dangerous virus because unlike the present day virus, it's recognized as something very, very good. And we are told this is life. So what is life about? Study well, take up a job, get money, get married to the best person you can and live happily thereafter. Now this live happily thereafter is only an assumption. But nevertheless, this is what we are taught. And so this is what children imbibe as a name. And when they grow up, when they have actually started earning, leading a life, then they begin to realize after a while, if they are very fortunate, they begin to realize that this is all hollow. They start feeling imprisoned. And then a deeper urge arises to go beyond and no further. Now, in those in whom this deeper urge doesn't come, it's like a seed of you know, divinity which remains frustrated in a life. Otherwise, in most people, in many people, a deeper urge comes, which opens the door to future progress. In average human being, it takes in this form that, well, now I have done my duties, let me now turn to God. You know, we had the four one ashramas of life, which was very practical. That well, there is the Brahmacharya Ashram where we lay down the broad foundations on which we would live our life, the foundation of Dharma. And then we had the Artha when as a grahast we are earning money, livelihood, grappling with the forces, wrestling with all kinds of things. And then after we have done that, we have gathered the experience, the strength and the wisdom that the world can give. We want to go beyond the world and want to understand a deeper wisdom and something greater and higher and therefore we turn to Vanaprastha, where we start exploring life, where we start understanding the deeper purpose of life. When we meet those who are uh, wiser, who are you know, who have walked the path uh, of inner life, and we seek their refuge, we want to learn further. And then, of course, we have the final way. The final goal was regarded as liberation. Now, this is how, in traditional um, uh, thought, life was understood. However, the big problem here is that we have a choice between two possibilities. One is life, which remains imperfect as it is, and moksha, where we get freedom from life as it is. But there was no scope to fulfill this aspiration of man, the aspiration for perfection here in everyday life, the aspiration for perfection in 
in a subject that I want to study, the aspiration for perfection in the field of education, in relationship with the world around, in sleep, in eating, everything. So this is where we see Shurabindo bringing in this absolutely new dimension where he says moksha is only a beginning and not an end. So we used to think that moksha is an end. So how is moksha a beginning and not an end? So just as after death a new world opens to sight, so also when we achieve liberation from ignorance, when ignorance is slain, when we have discovered the truth of our own being, then we begin to undertake a new journey. So the first thing that is necessary in life is to discover who we really are, the truth of our own being, without which whatever else we may be doing, we may be ticking all the boxes right, but we have just lived a life, I mean, which is like a half dead person, because living ignorantly, dying ignorantly, living unconsciously, dying unconsciously is a great tragedy, it's very frightening. To come back again with the same ignorance, of course, some progress takes place, no doubt. So, Shobindra and the mother teach us how to live life consciously. The first, very first thing is to become conscious. So, what it means to become conscious is that whatever we are doing, we become conscious of why we are doing it. This simple practice, why we are doing it. I may be doing all the things which outwardly may look very nice, wonderful. For instance, I may be visiting the temple every day and doing all my prayer and pujas. But I may, doing it, I may be doing it with an extremely egoistic attitude. And this egoistic attitude can be, I want to be a great man, I want to be a great devotee, I want wealth, I want my ambition to be succeeded and sometimes unfortunately that I want votes. So you know one goes to all the places just because you know one has to look like uh, you know whatever a religious person. Now outwardly we are doing something which may look very pious but inwardly we are actually, uh, God is not happy because we can't fool him. And while, uh, you know, it's easy to fool humanity, but even human beings after a while begin to realize because we can't fool everyone all the time. So first thing is to become conscious of whatever we may be doing. From morning to night, mother gives an example of the ashram context. She says, you know, there is this wonderful samadhi and you know, it is surcharged by the vibrations. She is telling the ashram student that you have grown up here. From childhood, you have been told about the super mind and all these things. But how many of you are able to even feel? Why you go to the samadhi? Simple act. We go to the samadhi, we bow down, we do a prayer and we come out. And we remain very often the same unchanged person. And this is not one day, months. Years may go by, decades, and we don't change. Why? Because we were doing everything right, but not with the right consciousness. So first thing in life is, whatever we may be doing, it may be taking a bath, bath it may be you know eating food, but with the right consciousness. So what is that right consciousness? One is the Shastra, which tells us how to do a thing. So if we wake up at a particular time, go to take a bath at a particular way, particular time. But the problem of Shastra is that after a time, Shastra becomes too mechanical. Again, we become unconscious. We are following everything. But we are not changing ourselves. There are people who wake up in the morning at 3.30, 4 o'clock and they sit in meditation or they do their puja, not sit in meditation. Meditation is still okay. Sometimes even meditation is a ritual that people perform. But at the end of the day, nothing much changes. Because even Shastra becomes mechanical and because there is an evolution of uh, uh, creation. So the Shastra itself must be upgraded. And that's what we see something very interesting about Indian thought vis-a-vis -vis many other religions. That many religions have one book, one founder. 
But in Indian thought, Veda, though the basis, have been restated in beautiful terms. The age of Upanishads, which brought the essence of the Vedas. The age of the Puranas, which added something very new, which is there as a seed in the Vedas, but developed in a beautiful way. The age of the Gita, if I may say so, where Sri Krishna brings the essence of the Upanishads, but makes it so contextual and relevant. And now we have Sri and the Mother, which take out on the same basic Vedic foundation that there is but one reality, the eternal reality, which manifest in manifold ways but he gives it uh, he takes uh, absorbs into himself all the new things new movements new events uh, earth has moved forward and thereby he brings them together and presents it to us to lead a life which is more meaningful so let us take it one by one what do we do when we wake up in the morning so when we were children i'm sure many uh, indian homes we were taught to you know uh, touch um, the bhumi and just do this uh, gesture. At a point of time, like the typical adolescent, I said, why should I do all this? After all, it's something unconscious. Why should I be touching the feet of, you know? So normally we are told that, you know, because the elders say so. But now we understand that Mother Earth is living in real. So if we do the same gesture, we may not even now do the gesture because when we understand the spirit, the form may change. So when we wake up in the morning, mother gives a very beautiful uh, suggestion that when we wake up, just fill your heart with gratitude. It's something which really releases a lot of joy inside the heart. We wake up with, you know, the diary notes, to-do list and, you know, we rush to the different places. It just takes few minutes and those few minutes, if we can spare to be in gratitude that, you know, we have yet another day to progress, yet another day when, you know, we, we have the chance of changing ourselves, yet another day when we can learn something new, yet another day when we can progress even if this much, yet another day when we can reconnect with the divine in different ways. So all these fill our hearts with gratitude. Another reason for gratitude that there is the divine in this world. Imagine waking up every day and constantly remembering as some people you know, who don't believe in divine, uh, you know, would I just wonder that what it must be life like to wake up in the morning and say, basically there is nothing. There is no God, there is nothing. Now, what do you do? Then you rush after satisfying your desires because that's what nature has given us. But when we know there is the divine, we know there is a meaning to life. And this sense of purpose, this sense of meaning to remind ourselves every morning that this is what I am here for. Doesn't matter. Yesterday, I was a kind of person, but today I can be a new person, a changed person. So this is the first simple act of gratitude to the divine. It's not done as a ritual. One may or may not do it. Each one's up to each one. Rituals are very individualized, personalized things. When we make rituals a collective convention, then spiritual truth passes away from them. Because, uh, you know, people used to touch their parents' feet when they used to wake up uh, earlier. I mean, I have, I still remember that generation. And when they would go out of the house, they used to say, uh, give me blessings, you know, I am going out. Uh, I know it may sound like dated to many of the youngsters, but I have done that. <laughs> but now, you know, if you, what happened over a period of time, instead of touching the feet, people now touch only the knees. And now it is even high by. Now, oh, is this change good or bad? Well, earlier, I also noticed one thing, people would touch the feet. But they would do everything which is opposite to what the parents would have ever expected. I mean, every parent expects the child to be noble, to you know, come up with beautiful qualities. Now that is gone. At least the hypocrisy is gone. 
now people are what they are so at least you know this so many times it when we use a collective convention a ritual is a collective convention the big problem is we may lose the spirit completely so time to time the divine comes and breaks this collective convention which is what we see happening today so that the spirit can reemerge and take new forms so in the ashram we don't do like this namaste we just touch the heart and say you know uh, it's a beautiful feeling that divine is here or whatever inside mother says the simple act of saying bonjour it can have such a wonderful effect because there is a power in words so on one side we are told that you know if we chant om it's so wonderful in a you know temple setting on the other side it what is what really it indicate that the human voice the human speech has such a tremendous power within it after all at first time when a mystic heard the great wonderful syllable om it is he who chanted it now if our speech can it become a chant constantly a chant and a worship to the lord it is not through a mantra that we have to do it but our speech should become a natural chiming with truth as shubhendra puts it our speech should become a mantra so that when we uh, you know it's a whole tapasya of speech for instance a man who had never inside the heart had bad will for anyone very consciously you have removed it you have tried to have good will now such a person when he meets you and says you will be well even if there is corona or whatever kal or you know i don't know uh, <laughs> so you say you will be well now this person has done a tapasya of good will and it makes a difference it instantly has an effect why because he has gathered that energy very consciously inside so when the very fact of saying good morning namaste vanakam whatever we say it has a tremendous power so when we go about and meeting people and why only people plants everything in creation when we come out step out look at the sun the first teacher that however big the darkness may be the sun is bound to come so this is a way of life where we start living consciously and then we start getting ready so this is a very nice anecdote of the mother many of us may know it when the mother asked when udar asked mother mother 20 years i am you know practicing yoga so would you be kind enough to tell me how am i doing and the mother said well uh, okay so he was not happy with the okay you know okay is a strange word which may mean many things from disappointment to ultimate <laughs> so so mother said okay so he said uh, mother what do you mean like you know something i am missing she said okay tell me what do you do in the morning he says i get up and then i go to the washroom then i take a bath i i brush my teeth so how do you brush your teeth so he just started describing the gesture thinking mother like a scientist she is asking so she said all wrong so he said why mother how should i do it he said when you go to the bathroom you should think that it is the divine who is with you when we take a shower it takes it simultaneous see the mind body are all the time in a state of disjointedness while we are taking a shower the mind is thinking what is my next program we are planning even everything even during speech it happens we are planning what am i going to speak what am i going to speak let the mother flow what she will decide so to live that way often people say live in the present what does it mean living the present living in the present is living in our highest present so when we are taking a wash and the shower is coming again in tradition we were taught har har gange har har gange gange che yamune che kaveri che saraswati we have grown up like that 
But what it meant was that may this water have all the cleansing, beautiful, divine properties of all the rivers. All the rivers represent uh, different kinds of vital energies. Water washes many formations. So when we take a bath, actually many formations of the night are washed away. It's a simple fact. That's why people feel fresh after taking a bath. But when we do it consciously, it makes such a difference. And then we come out after taking a nice scrub, we come out. Now we have to dress up. What dress should we wear? Attitude, attitude, attitude. <laughs> very, very smart dress, good looking dress. Maybe we come out, we have a very dull face, all drooped out, but we are wearing a tie. Be cheerful. Shobinda says cheerfulness is the salt of existence. So sometimes we can ask when people look very serious, what have you missed out on salt today? Huh? So he may say, well, I have a blood pressure patient, so that's why I am advised. Don't worry. Cheerfulness is the salt of existence. People say, how can I be cheerful? Are very simple. Somebody who is walking with God, why won't he be cheerful? When Krishna is your friend, when the Divine Mother is with you, won't you be cheerful? Why would one be depressed? Depression means that I am feeling alone. Or lonely. Alone is a power. Lonely is not a good condition to be in. And why do I feel lonely? Because I am shut in a shell of the ego. I am Mr. So-and-so. And this Mr. So-and-so has limits. He lives in a bubble. And he wants this bubble to be constantly reinforced by other bubbles. So he is very happy when people tell him, Oh, good morning, sir. Sir, you are very nice, wonderful. When children come and say, you know, people live like that all their life. But when divine is very, you know, when you are very fortunate and grace shines upon us, what does it do? First thing it does is, it breaks the bubble. So we say, oh cruel master, why have you done it? <laughs> what happens when the bubble breaks? The wide world is before us. So to live life with this constant state, which Shobindo uses the word as Kalyana Shraddha. What is there in life to be so much afraid about? And especially when I see in India now with Corona, so much fear. I understand, okay, please observe social distancing, Dogas Zaruri, whatever it is there as the slogan. But in India, where we believe in rebirth, we believe in the divine, yet so much fear. Okay, take precautions, but don't have fear. At least reject the fear. So, this is because we have forgotten something very important in life to live by, which somehow our ancestors had it before the modern education came. I remember when I was a little child, we didn't know so many medicines in a village. And every time I fell ill, my father had one universal remedy. He would take me, put it before our family deity, Lord Rama. And he will say, you have sent him to me, take care. <laughs> so he took care. Why won't? But we say, God, you may have given the child, but doctor will take care. Sometimes not even that. Our ambition brings the child into existence and we think, now you see, there is a way of life where we live by faith. And there is another way where we live by fear. This is the difference. The attitude, faith. Faith brings cheerfulness. Why? Because we know. Even in the densest darkness, he is there. He is hidden. The same who is Muralidhar Manmohana is Ghanshyam and Shama. You know, dark and the law, fear. Gauri, Mother Parvati, is also Kali. The Shama, the dark mother. And this is the way India has looked life. Murli Dhar is also Chakradhar. So, 
when we are happy murli dhar is playing his murli when we are see destruction all around then what do we have to see just the charioteer chakradhar you are there no that's all that is required so it's an attitude of life where we live a day with god as a constant companion there is a very nice little write up i had read long back that a diary of god god writes a page and he says well i went to him and he got up in the morning and rushed to the washroom he didn't even acknowledge me then i waited he will come out and at least say hello god but he was too busy with its tie and his breakfast and then he rushed into the car before i could get in so because i am god i reached at his office but he was too busy saying hi hello to everyone and the whole day passed and i was waiting to comfort him when he is sleeping but instead of me he was relying on the lorazepam tablet and on his whatsapp messages for something to brighten him up this is one way of life and another way of life is to wake up and say good morning lord ma good morning to take a bath mother be with me what you see life should become a prayer so simple actually life is extremely simple our mind has complicated it even there are techniques to find the divine and i have often wondered something which is so natural the stuff of our being why do we have to find so many techniques to find him all that is needed is to remove the veil of ignorance that's all that is required what is ignorance i am mr so and so whole day we live with those pictures very happy to see our pictures here there in the office that's all we have to remove and this ignorance is simply given to us as a gift you are my son remove it i am mother divine son her child so to live life in a state of constant remembrance this is what the gita says yukta har viharasya it's not that spiritual life is when i am sitting and meditating spiritual life is also when i am meeting my friends spiritual life is also when i am taking a walk spiritual life is also when i am reading and listening spiritual life is also when i am enjoying a movie in ashram they show a movie also but we can watch the movie from a spiritual point of view to become conscious to understand what human beings are what life is about a lot we can learn we don't have to really i do believe that cinema has in a way accelerated the human evolution we know about west we know about people we know about many many things which will take life times to just understand and assimilate so it is accelerated because you know if you watch through films you know a lot about life you become conscious so this way if we live life consciously and most important she says to keep this flame burning inside what is this flame this is the flame our greatest gift there's a whole canto in savitri the flame child this phrase the flame child is born the growth of the flame that we are and this flame whenever there is time to just feed this flame mother says that so many time there are windows that open on the infinite to keep them as the goal we may be working in the office what is my goal my next promotion the money that i'll get lot of accolades praise gifts prize how does it matter i mean they are all things which will snatched away one moment one stroke they are gone but to live constantly that now this office work now this my seva to the mother we'll forget 100 times 
But if you keep practicing, a time will come when all work will become constantly a prayer. The mother says that work is the best prayer to the divine. To work as we pray. And then life begins to become a prayer. Because work for us is no more work to fulfill our ambition or money. It will come, no problem. But it's a means to serve the divine mother. So then naturally when we, in our personal relationship with people, we'll change. Why? Because everybody will see that, well, I am representing her. And I have to remember that constantly. So this way when we begin to lead our life, life begins to change. Then another important thing which she says is that a balance between work, rest and exercise a balanced life, moderation and balance. Uh, Mother speaks about it, the Buddha speaks about it, even in the Western literature, a balance. Life becomes very unbalanced when we focus only on one thing. Something very beautiful about the ashram life is this wonderful balance. Six hours of work, some people work for eight hours, then you have time for exercise, then you have meditation. If you really look at the ashram life, it's so beautifully organized. But sometimes we think, okay, work, so day and night we are working. Whatever may be the reasons, I don't want to go into that. But, well, what is the instrument? Have we really ignored the instrument? The body. Body is the basis. So, to give the body a kind of exercise every day, it doesn't matter, just a walk. And to do this exercise, to keep the instrument going. It's a body given by the divine, not out of fear. Oh, I shouldn't have disease if I do exercise. Not with that intention. But simply, it is a gift of the grace. So, at least just take a little walk. And during the walk to offer it to the mother and then take a walk. So the bodily instrument constantly is in good shape. And then another very simple thing is the prana. And that prana is one is the way to do is pranayam. But pranayam to me is always a deeper connotation. Prana is the force of life and yama is to restrain. So it's not just about the outer pranayam. But which direction my force of life is flowing? Any excess is not healthy for life. So we have to learn to create a balance. Again we come to balance. So if we see that we are taking to an excess, whatever way, thing it may be, even excess of that all the time I will meditate. Sri then the mother used to caution, except one odd person, even there. So they would always speak about the balance between meditation and work. And there is a beautiful prayer of the mother. That meditation, what does it lead to? Union with the divine, provided it is done in the true way. But it is the work that purifies the nature, prepares it for transformation. The main part of this yoga is through work. Meditation is important, so we should give time to that. And what is meditation? It's very simple to sit and withdraw ourselves from all the various senses which are scattered here and there. Beautifully in Savitri, those lines, in moments when the inner lamps are lit and life's cherished guests are left outside. Even if we can leave the WhatsApp outside, good enough. So that, you know, every bing and ting, we don't, you know, rush to open it. Just put everything outside and just sit quietly. So what happens? Our spirit sits alone and speaks to its gulf. So beautiful to sit alone and seek him who alone is, for whom our life is. Even a few moments, we don't have to sit. Meditation is not about half an hour, one hour, two hours. Even a few moments... Just to seek her, who alone is, who is in our heart, even that we don't have. Just in quietude to sit and surrender whole day to her at her feet. 
if you find it difficult to withdraw all the things all over consciousness which is spread through the senses then everything we put a tag oh morning this happened ma take it afternoon this happened ma take it mother i have a body ache take it all when we have offered to her feet then we say ma whatever is going to come in my life that too you take it not just show me the way show me the way means show me the way then i'll walk it show me the way and carry me through it to give oneself to the mother this giving is such a beautiful thing that we have forgotten just giving oneself to give oneself even to creation not to go back as a selfish person see shubhendra's ali it's so inspiring when he tells to mrilalni devi that you know i think i have lived like a thief i have received 16 annas only 14 annas i have kept with myself and given two annas to god we don't even give two pennies to god what does giving mean mean means that whole day i am thinking of 101001 things for some time let me think of god that means giving the thoughts to the divine when we think of god i am giving my thoughts to the divine my feelings 101 people are recipients to whom i am attached but let us keep our core attachment to the divine that we can do nobody will know this is something very secret divine is the beloved nobody should know that he is the beloved let the world think oh you are so near so dear my loved one let everybody think <laughs> but keep only the divine in the center see how the heart will be purified mother says it is only from the mother that you will all for all your expectations for all your needs you will turn to her what about others give see the difference but what we do we calculate this person i gave what has he given to me this person he should have given me but he didn't give so she says it this is what is the way of life that for all your emotional needs for all your you know these things will turn to the mother but for giving we'll be giving freely like a flower she gives this examples to live like a flower flower draws its sustenance from the sun and the soil below but when it gives does it question who are you how much money you will pay me for my fragrance first fix me a prize first praise my beauty maybe roses may say that but flowers just bloom equal frank open to the light giving itself to all one and all this is being like a flower another very beautiful example is says live like a river so what is living like a river only two things we need to know where does it come from and where does it go the course will be taken care of but we often forget the goal so what happens we start fighting over small little trifles and waste years i have seen people fighting court cases for decades and at the end of it if you win you are a loser if you lose you are a loser <laughs> either ways it's a lose lose situation <laughs> no win situation if you have won after 30 years you have lost so much precious time and thought and energy in something which you will never enjoy and your children if you have won it they will throw it away but to live life i mean 
I am all for lawyers, just like I speak about doctors, but it's okay, they are doing good service. But the thing is to live life in a state of harmony that if divine has given me something, he has taken away today. Has he taken away the most important thing from my life? What is the most important thing in my life? So mother says, step back and see. Is it something of such a value that we fret and fume over it? Money is gone. Okay, fine. It will come back. I was born in this way. It's okay. One can live without that. Relationships are gone. Doesn't matter. All these things. But what is of eternal and lasting value? She says, that is peace, light, wideness, truth, ananda of the divine, union with the divine. That alone is worth living for. So while all these things are there in life and part of life, but to learn to step back and to make that our goal. This is the flame and the ascension of the flame. So to be very clear about that aim. So be like a river means the aim is the divine. What circumstances can really come in the way? Nothing. One can be anywhere, even in a prison house. Shurabindo's grand start. The first ashram he established was in Alipur jail. And how does he establish it? How beautifully with the wind and the weather beating around me. Up to the hill and the moorland I go. Who shall come with me? Who shall walk with me? Wait through the and brooks and through the snow. So walk through the snow. So this is where we see that it's a way of life. Where even in a prison house, even when we are you know, face to face with death, like Markande we can say, Lord, here am I. I am reminded of an incident which I had read in uh, you know, uh, Honorable Srinivas Angarji's life. So, uh, I had read long back. It had inspired me many times and I had uh, shared it. I, I don't remember where I read it. Uh, but it touched me very deeply that when uh, his wife was on the deathbed, and not on the deathbed, but she suddenly told him she was very sick and she told him about some beings he was seeing around her. And he said, you tell them that you are mother's child. They have no business to come near you. Something like that. And then she recovered and they went away. It has touched me so deeply. It's such an inspiring thing to live by. What has death got to do with us? If it comes near, we can tell him, go find your business somewhere else. This is not your shop. Our shop is with the divine. He is the guardian of this shop. He is the owner of this shop. So when we start living a life like this, the life becomes beautiful, life becomes meaningful. The river will find its way to the sea. If there is an obstacle, it will suck it around, it will break the obstacle, it will fly over it. Why? Because it knows where it must go. But when we don't know the way, then we fight with little things which have come in front of us. We needn't do that. Even if there is a Kurushetra, the goal is not winning in the Kurushetra, but the goal is Dharma. If you remember that, the goal is Krishna, then everything is wonderful. So be to be like a river. And finally, to be like a sun. To be a source of splendor and light to this world. There is a very, uh, um, uh, not a very, it's a typical approach, you know, very nihilistic approach. Uh, we are taught, Kya leke aaye the, khali haath leke aaye the, khali haath dekhe ja rahe ho. I mean, you came empty-handed, you will go back empty-handed. This is an extremely selfish approach to life. I may have come empty-handed. But with the divine grace, there is a Lord that can pour. And when I go, let all this gather or be given to this world for his work. 
Let me take nothing with me but your presence. Not even the karmas, the good karmas. All are given to you. So when we leave this bodily cloak, even that body should have accumulated such a tremendous force of tapas like Rishi Dadichi. That out of his body, out of the bones, the Vajra was you know, built for killing Vritrasur. That should be our life. That when we even when we die, it's not a death, but it is a diffusion, a dispersion into the universal elements. So when we live life like that, selflessly, turn toward the divine, just as a flower, as a sun, as a river, so much we see in nature, Mother and Shobindu's own example, life as a prayer, life as a worship, life as a seeking, life as a music tuned to the divine. Not to the ego. Ego doesn't know how to play the orchestra of life. Ego will say, okay, now tabla, after some time, now harmonium. But if it plays the tabla and harmonium together, they will start fighting. But when we hand over this music to the divine, he makes of us a flute or his veena. So to live life constantly in an aspiration for the divine and never to be satisfied with any experience. Always there is something more, something more, something more. It's so beautiful thing in Mother and Shurabindo's yoga is that there is no end point. Even the supramental is not the end. It's something beautiful. Some people want, okay, when will I achieve this? So achieve what? It's a divine unfolding. Where is the end? Why should there be an end? Why not infinity? Why not the perfection that is ever expanding? Mother spoke about perfection. She said, perfection is not an end point. It's something which is constantly evolving. And this gives life such a wonderful purpose that even at the last breath, we may say, oh, there is something else, something more that I still have to do. Let me try it now or else, bon voyage, bon adieu, will come back again for the unfinished work of life. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste.